Hello and welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by the wondrous Whitney Nelson. Hell yeah. And I am honored because this episode we are also joined by the president of the Pennsylvania Chapter Fan Club for Creed, Evan Wells. <laughs> wow, I was wondering where that was going to go. Oh, my God. Oh, Creed. I can't let it go. I'm waiting for the super fan of this podcast that agrees with me. I don't know if that person exists. Yeah, I will be well, surprised. Well, I'm waiting. Okay. That might be 60 movies from now, or it might be never movies from now. Yeah, I think it's closer to never movies from now. <laughs> I can wait. <laughs> I want to get right into this. The movie that we are discussing today is One Step Away, mm-hmm. okay? You both watched it. It's yeah. 28 minutes and some change. I want to get everybody in the headspace of when this movie came out, 1985. What was going on in the world in 1985? I think that's important. Well, first and foremost, most importantly, I was two years old. I was I was zero years old. I was born in 1985. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think Evan was negative. Yeah, <laughs> minus two. So we're really covering the whole. <laughs> not, we got a nice spectrum. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's correct. So not all of us have experienced the actual year of 1985 or remember it. But here are some things that happened that year. We had Live Aid in Philadelphia, which is very nearby me. Whitney lives there. Evan lives mm-hmm. nearby-ish mm-hmm. as well. We had New Coke. That was a thing. Mm-hmm. Nintendo released the NES. This guy named Michael Jordan was Rookie of the Year. Wow. To give you an idea of some of the other movies that were released the same year as One Step Away, we had Back to the Future, the first one. Zemeckis, amazing. Rambo, First Blood, Part 2. I still don't like the title of that movie. (laughs) Rocky IV, The Color Purple, Out of Africa, Cocoon, and Amadeus, which was the Best Picture winner that year. That movie's wild. Yeah. It's really, really good. I have not seen it in years. Yeah. But I suspect that it holds up. Chart-topping bands and musicians, which does not play a role in any of the music in the film that we watched, (laughs) gives you an idea of what was popular. We had Duran Duran, Simple Minds, Madonna, Springsteen, The Cure, Bowie, Phil Collins. It's amazing. That's a good music year. And some of those people are still making a lot of music to this day, which Mm -hmm. is heartening. Mm -hmm. So, Ev, Whitney, given all this that we we have just laid out right here about 1985, I wanted to ask, what is your approach to watching and discussing older films? Are you looking at it under a, a more or less critical lens? A, I went to film school. B, I grew up watching older movies. So I feel like I was sort of there's a lot of people of sort of our generation that didn't watch old movies until they were in their late teens, early twenties, like going back several years didn't really happen for them. I watched more old movies than I did new movies for a very long time in my life. So I feel like I look at them the same. I judge them the same. There's obviously stuff that you know is not going to hold up, whether that's special effects stuff or whether that's, um, you know, societal stuff that you could never put on screen now. Um, you know, there's there's definitely things that are going to stick out to you. But I think that the elements of storytelling 
and doing it well are the same. There are movies a lot older than this one that have told stories incredibly well and it holds up very well. So I, I think that as far as like what kind of critical lens, it's the same for me, regardless of when it was made. That's interesting. Can I ask a question about something? So older movies tend to have sensibilities that are uh, <laughs> uh, not 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 always great in terms of points of view about how they uh, handle race and uh, mm-hmm. gender and stuff like that. Are you mm-hmm. looking at those movies with today's eyes or are you trying to look at it from like the, the eyes of 1985, say? No, I look at that with today's eyes. Okay, hmm. good to know. Ev, how about you? How are you approaching this? What's your angle here? So I I definitely try to take the approach that Whitney mentioned, but I, I still have to do this mind shift because I think as as we progress in, in movies, there is unfortunately this expectation now for uh, even just things like the, the quality. If we think of just the, you know this this recording if you go look at it on on YouTube it looks like someone pirated it in a drive-in you know and it it's it's very <laughs> not no it's definitely filmed off yes. of a TV yeah it looks it's VHS it's got or whatever it's right. got that yeah, hiss. yeah like it's someone yeah. someone put a VHS camcorder on a tripod in front of a television <laughs> and recorded off the television no, that's hundred percent what it is because it warps at the oh, gotcha. at the edges in that in the way that that things filmed off of a television do right and so for me it's it's you have to put yourself in that mindset that there's going to be different applications from that perspective. I think it's a great point around storytelling. That should be timeless. Uh, there, there shouldn't be an impact on just storytelling in general. Um, but then to the to the second half of the question, I think I found myself, your, your follow-up question, Andrew, I think I found myself actually during this movie in my mind saying, oh, well, you know, it's 1985, so they're going to do that or they're going to say that. And I, I think I find myself doing that a lot in movies. It's not... It's interesting because you you don't want to you don't want to necessarily like outwardly justify it, but at the same time you have to put yourself in that perspective of this is what was happening during that time, and I guess I do try to imagine what it would be like for someone in 1985 sitting in a theater watching that movie. I do I do just real quick want to interrupt quality. You're definitely especially when you're talking about things like something being filmed off of a television or whatever. And this was clearly made for TV. Um, You're not going to get the same quality as stuff that's, you know, movies now, but like, just as an example, taxi driver was 1976. So almost 10 years before this. And the cinematography in that is still like, it's still good to look at, even if the, the quality itself isn't as high as you know, resolution and and saturation yep. and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It is still just as good to look at today as it as it you know it holds up to other movies when you watch it because it told mm-hmm. the story visually. And I think that that's part of storytelling is visually telling the story. And I don't think that that is dated. I, obviously, there's going to be technology yeah. advances, but I think that you can still look at the visual components of something that's older and judge whether or not it's good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I the first thing that I think of when I I go to what's an older movie that looks amazing is you could just basically pick anything that Kubrick ever did and be like, that is outstanding in terms of his framing and composition Mm -hmm. and all of those things. So it's, it's possible to make a movie in a decade that is still timeless. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's been proven time and again, I have to agree with both of you on that. And I'm pretty much in the same boat. I think 
I might be willing to give a little bit more leeway, kind of like Ev, where I'm like, oh, it was of a time and a place. If I'm watching something, you know, from the same decade, like 16 Candles or Trading Places, uh, I, I cringe a little bit. Right. And I'm like, Ugh, that was <laughs> that feels wrong. Yeah. Let's be better than that. <laughs> I can appreciate those things, mm-hmm. but let's be better. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's get to this movie. I'm going to run something by the two of you. IMDb estimates that the budget of this film was $500,000. Do you agree? No. No. Okay. We're in the same boat then. That absolutely cannot be possible. Right. I was figuring that maybe it was $500,000, and then the director walked away with four hundred and fifty dollars in his pocket. Well, so that that was my next question. It might have actually had a budget of $500,000, because it's like the Canadian mm-hmm. version of the BBC, right? Yes. It's like, it's like governmentally produced. So it may well actually have cost that much, because it may all be like union stuff and... Um, like kickback stuff and like <laughs> hiring people's nephews <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. So it may very well have actually cost $500,000. There's no reason why it should have, but when it's a government production, there's no telling where that money went. Let's jump in to the synopsis of this movie and then get right into our general thoughts. So I'm going to read this. This is from IMDb. Ron Petrie, Keanu Reeves is a troubled teen whose life is hanging by a thread as he's on the verge of suspension from school subject to arrest for breaking and entering, and the cause of his single mother's impending eviction from her apartment. Unless he can find a resolution, his only option seems to be a life of street crime. (laughs) As you do. Ev, pull no punches. Did this movie work for you? No. Uh, On on too many levels. I mean, it's... It was just... I mean, okay, there there was a story there. I'll give him that. There was... A story, right? There was something you there could was? follow. Was there though? Yeah. Because I don't think there was. <laughs> there was something you could follow. I think now you're stepping on my point, which is there was no story. Well, uh-huh. I I don't know if if there was the the ending definitely didn't wrap up said story, but in the middle, you're you're certainly following something. There there there's something to kind of try to follow and figure out. It, it, it's mm-hmm. very subtle. It's not well pronounced. And there's 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 no one on this planet that watches that movie and doesn't have a pretty solid inkling of how it's going to end up. But I mm. I think it 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 just wasn't. Oh man, it the the music was off. The 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 way that they kind of depicted all of the quote unquote hardship that that Ron went through. It was just this. You're just getting hit over the head by these like miscalculations and his bad luck and and it just they couldn't stop just batting you with these just terrible coincidences and that definitely ruined it for me among other things but i i think there's other little details that i think we'll get into in a little bit but just at a high level no did not work for me so it definitely did not work for me uh because i don't think it was a story and also because i I'm so confused at what a 28-minute movie, like, it's like an after-school special, only it's not an after-school special because they don't explicitly say anything. Right. There's no moral. I mean, obviously, don't be a shitty kid is the moral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they don't give you any good advice as to how not to be a shitty kid. Right. It's a cautionary tale. It's like, don't 
be this guy, maybe. Yeah, but there's no <laughs> nice outcome if you if you aren't that guy. That's that's the issue. This is a terrible cliffhanger in insofar as you just have to kind of assume everything worked out after. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that I had the the most of it was fine. It was not good, but it was fine. But the end, you so I don't know. Can I talk about what happens in the end without talking about the rest of the plot first? We kind of gave the synopsis, but like the end of it, I feel like is the most important part because this is a kid who got into trouble, did whatever, found himself somehow. I don't know. Some kid said, you don't toke and you don't boost. What do you do? And he's like, I don't know. Go home and be a good kid, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that was the turning point. That was the turning point for Ron. That was the turning point (laughs) is someone being like, so what do you do? Right. And he's like, I don't know, man. Uh, and then he comes back and his big stompy boots are off and he's wearing chucks and now he's a good kid. I mm. Anyway, but the point is, this is not a good ending. I, not even like, uh, I don't mean like a, a well-crafted ending. I mean, it is not a positive ending mm. because the mom still doesn't have a job. Correct. He is going to live for an indefinite amount of time with the kid who tokes grass and boosts purses. Right. Like, that's not him saying, I can handle that guy is fine, except for that guy is the reason why you got into any of this trouble in the first place. So you do not have a track record of handling this guy. That does not sound like a good end to this story to me. But, but if I can just say, the mom at the end, you know, she gave a fist pump. That, I think right. that's yeah, No, there's like a, a black power <laughs> fist exchange God, through the window between the two of them. And then he returned it. I think that's yeah. a show of solidarity. I think he's going to be okay. And he took her car. Well, the, why did he take her car? It was like, he didn't, he just walked past oh, her car. Okay. He was, it looked like he was walking towards it. I think he maybe mm-hmm. shut it off too early. Ev. He actually walked past okay. it and oh, into the, into the apologies for proverbial sunset. sunset. It wasn't yeah. a real sunset. No, it was an alley. I think I was, I was, Doing a, I was doing a face palm during that moment, maybe, and I missed the actual ending. But like, if they're trying to be a cautionary tale, it needs to not go well for him, or it needs to show you how you can turn your life around. And your mom's still potentially getting evicted, so you need to leave the apartment and going and crashing with your problem friend. <laughs> That's not a good resolution to a cautionary tale. Problem friend. Andrew's my problem friend. <laughs> well, well, I know, and that's why we, we only communicate one. through podcasts, of course. <laughs> the the ending is, it's probably just worth watching for the ending. I can't communicate what this movie is or what it did because I don't know what the mm-hmm. purpose was. The thing that really stuck with me about this movie is it makes you appreciate current day television and movie storytelling insofar as it's very clear how much time is elapsing, right? In this yes. movie, I have no idea. Like in one scene, he walks out of the house and in the next he's in like yep. Montreal. And yep. I re- it never really set up like where he was in the first place. So I have no mm-hmm. gauge of like, how far did he go? How did he find mm-hmm. this other gang of kids so quickly that want to do crime and boost yep. purses with pieces and st- I, I just and then then the next scene after he leaves after he doesn't know i guess i don't know what later and he's back home and i'm like yeah. you see him hitchhiking briefly and then he's home I, I, it's just all baffling 
And also the first 50% or so seems to run in nearly real time. Yes. Mm. Yep. That's, so that's you, it. So you can't have a story running in almost real time and then jump to an indefinite number of days elapsed while he's hitchhiking mm-hmm. across Canada. Like it, it, it's very unsettling because you, it, it really did. I was like, what's, how long is this taking? How long has he been hitchhiking? Where is he going? Where did he come from? It really does take you out of it of like when everything has happened in more or less like 24 hour span. And now all of a sudden it's who knows how long he was living in a shelter, hanging out with new street toughs. Yeah. That's, there was one scene during the first hitchhiking scene took place at night and every other scene was during the day and it was even gray because I assume that's what the weather is like <laughs> in Canada and however long it took them to shoot this in the winter time. And that's it. That's all I have in terms of reference. One mm-hmm. day technically elapsed in my mind. Mm-hmm. I just was going to say, I just wanted to make sure everybody noticed the, the really cool earring that he had and, um, yes, that was the first thing that I wrote down in my notes is I, <laughs> I wrote literally this is verbatim what I wrote. First things first, I'm downright obsessed with this ear cuff. I, I had something similar, <laughs> but mine said George Michael earrings because that's like exactly where I went because he used to wear that cross from his his ear. And I just immediately went to like the album art for one of George Michael's albums where he's got that gold cross hanging off of the ear and the, and the rest of the movie that's like all i could think about yeah. yeah what was your first note ev when you were writing your notes what was the first it's what i said earlier pirated from a drive-in got it yeah okay uh mine was wow this music though <laughs> 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 yeah you and i talked about this earlier that the the music director or there was no music director whatever, whatever we want to call the person behind the music did no other movies. Yeah. I mean, if this was the kind of resume, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I would not hire you Yeah, that's again. a good point. This is a thing. Music, when done well, you shouldn't notice it, right? right? That's the best part. Like, w- during a rising crescendo, you think of, like, some of the biggest movies of all time, your Jurassic Parks and your whatever, your, your Batmans and all of those things. When the music actually gets to the point where you're noticing it, it should mm-hmm. stir an emotion in you. And all that it did in this movie for me was like distract me. Like I couldn't even pay attention mm-hmm. to the dialogue anymore because I'm like, what is happening? It's mixed poorly. It's too loud. That was the th- that was basically a stopping point for me. And I, I actually want to play a bad music cue. I'm going to tee this up. He gets into a fight with his mom and she discovers that he has this bracelet that he didn't technically steal, but he acquired, and maybe he was going to give it back. Everybody seems to think he was going to. I don't think he was. I think he was. Yeah. It's possible that maybe he was changing his tune by that point. I didn't feel that. He's done I did boosting. Not feel that. He was all done boosting. I thought that because he found out that that statue in the beginning was worth $3,000, that he was taking a chance on this bracelet being worth more than the cash that he would have gotten from the job as it were huh anyway well, now i have to rewatch <laughs> not, it none of it matters it's, it's <laughs> he gets into a massive fight with his mom she slaps him tells him to get out and then the music cuts to this here we go maybe i should move out i can't see any reason to stay here maybe you should you just want me out of here so you can keep this dump go on get out see 
you like it out there on your own. If I go, I'm gone for good. God! Okay. <laughs> we all heard that. I just want to uh-huh. say that I shortened that sequence between when he walks out to when that music starts. It was 20 full seconds of silence. And yeah. then it goes and- into that music. I, I don't even know. What, what does yeah. that music? It's like a Huey Lewis song, but it kind of sounds like Jack uh-huh. and Diane also. Uh-huh. It's definitely for of that era, but it should be in a movie where you're like in a convertible mm-hmm. driving down PCH with like the beach on one side and like the sun is out. It is not, I got kicked out and I'm in trouble and I'm running from the law and hitchhiking across Canada music. It feels like one of those, the beginnings to one of those old videos you would watch in high school about like being safe on the playground or something. And it <laughs> that's like the background music for this guy that walks in and he's like, hello, today we're going to discuss safety. You know, that's just, where my mind went. It's just awful. Did either of you have any kind of standout moments? I, I had two. Um, one that, that Whitney actually mentioned earlier, but I, I thought it was the pivotal line from him where they were talking about, I think they were actually talking about boosting cars and not toking. So it, it is an up level, right? He He's a little scared, right? He's used to breaking and entering or he's he's used to snatching purses and then this guy approaches him and he's he's got a gun and he's like we're gonna go steal a rental car he's not used to any of that what movie did you guys watch no like what he's what he's done up till now has been he has only done one crime <laughs> and he didn't even want to do a crime so he took a statue that we he know didn't take of. jewelry he didn't take silver he didn't want to be he doing is. it but Haggerty said that he's a hoodlum <laughs> i pulled that quote of uh, tell me if this is the one I don't boost with anybody dumb enough to carry a piece. Man, you don't toke, you don't boost. What the hell do you do? It's a damn good question. Later. It's a damn good question. <laughs> oh, perfect. Leaning against a phone booth. That's perfect. the best part of this movie. Literally the... Yes, he pulls the guy over to the phone booth to say, hey, we want to steal a bunch of stereos, are you in? And Keanu Reeves is like, no. And the guy's like, man, what do you do? That brief shining 12 to 30 seconds of film is the only thing worth watching in any of this movie, for, in my opinion. Back, back, to the, back to the landlord. That's Sean McCann. Do you, do you guys know what other movie he's from? Because he's from one of my favorites. I would be shocked. I, I did not think anybody in this movie was anything. So I'm super interested to hear this. Yeah, I had no idea there was anyone in this. He is one of the businessmen in Tommy Boy that helps Chris okay. Farley, <laughs> that like talks Chris Farley into going out with David Spade to save the company. Huh. But I just, I, you know, I immediately recognized him because I, you know, everybody's seen Tommy Boy a hundred times and, or at least I have. And that's exactly what I thought. I was like, there's a saving grace. This guy was was in a better movie. Eventually, he, he makes it. Yeah, okay, okay. The other scene that I liked was after his hitchhiking to Montreal and after finding this new crew and then ending up, I think, in like a homeless shelter or something. We don't mm-hmm. have a whole lot of context there. He calls his mom on collect. Yeah, I'd like to make a collect call. Ron Petrie. The music. Yeah, hi, mom. 
How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Yeah, really. I, uh, four, I got yes. a job, and I'm staying with a friend till I can get an apartment. Here comes the haze. What kind of a job? Hey, don't worry about it, Mom. Everything's One. okay. I'll, I'll be sending you some money. Come home, Ron, please. Hey, what's the use? Two. You're gonna take away my car for bail. Hey, they can't do that. Three. Yes, they can. And there's a warrant out for you. Oh, so you want me to come home and go to jail so you can keep that old piece of crap? I don't give a damn about the car. I just want you to come home. I explained to the judge that it was my fault. Hey, come on. It's not your fault. Four. If you come back, you've got a chance. Your only chance. Ronnie, come home. Hey, uh, look, I, I gotta go, okay? Five. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll call you again soon, all right? Bye. I don't know if I was paying attention at this point. I was just kind of like, <laughs> when are we? When can we watch Youngblood? I, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. We, I've already talked about my favorite moment, the phone booth moment of the you don't talk, you don't boost, what do you Absolutely, do? Absolutely, yeah. Is my favorite moment. I also did like, and I already briefly mentioned it, but when he goes back home and decides to turn his life around, all of a sudden the, the big black combat boots that he's been wearing the whole movie have turned into Chucks. That's great. Signifying that he's now a good kid. I liked that. Didn't even see that, but I love it. My my whole, my first, like you were talking about the moment when you gave up, Andrew. <laughs> right. My, my like moments. abandon all hope ye who enter here moment was literally when that cop is in the elevator and then pulls him into the car and you don't know he's a cop oh, and you're like, yeah. what the hell is happening? Oh, you're talking about the first three minutes of the film. <laughs> yes. You were already I'm talking out. about approximately one minute and 45 <laughs> seconds into the movie. I was like is this another criminal who's stealing this criminal? Are they working together? I, it, it, I had zero clue that it was a cop at all. I just, and immediately I was like, okay, they're never going to tell us anything that I actually want to know or need to know. So I'm they out. couldn't afford so, on yeah. that budget to pay for, you know, a prop car um, and potentially pay to get a uniform for a police officer. That's my only guess, but you're right. I thought it was a kidnapping. They had half mm-hmm. a million dollars. <laughs> How can- in 1985 yeah it's a lot of money it's so much money i want to say i've never turned on a character so quickly before we had wally who was his mom's boss who owned the restaurant and when she gets the call right after that scene that you're talking about that he's been arrested and she has to go get him she kind of leaves him high and dry And I felt a little bad for the guy because it looked like it might have been a Friday night. The restaurant's packed. And she's like, look, my son, I got to go get him. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll do a double shift. No overtime. Next time we see Wally, he fired. He fired her. He 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 made a point. He followed through. And I was Mm -hmm. like, man, Wally, you're a dick. But it was nice. There was a little a little line from him when she said she had to leave where he said this isn't the first time. And then we're really starting to learn. Uh Oh, Ron. Ron's a Ron's a bad kid. Keeps getting in trouble. He's a bad egg. No, that tells me the mom's a bad egg who doesn't show up for work. (laughs) (laughs) I took it to mean it was this not the first time she had to go get him and post bail. But it could also be that she hasn't shown up. There's a lot of interpretations here, you know. There are. The fact that you came out of this with him doing so many crimes and me being like, he's not a crime boy. I don't know how we both got that out of the same movie. Because literally the movie is only about him and his Or crime. being pinned for the wrong thing. Like he, he's just a normal guy and he's always in bad situations. Yeah, he's the fall yeah. guy. 
Well, I mean, he did rob that house. He did go in and break and enter well, and steal dared. a statue. But that pure pressure. Yeah. Maybe he was even double and, dared. And they had and they had already hit yeah. it before. They told him to go back to a place that they had right. already. Maybe they're robbed. just making a mockery of this guy. Maybe they just, you know, everybody just makes him this the butt of the joke. Like, oh, Ron will do it. Let's just just dare Ron. He'll he'll go do it. It'll be hilarious. It happened with the other guys. They they laughed at him when when he got sent you know, when he got arrested for them stealing the purse. It was just a joke for all these mm-hmm. all of his friends. It's his friend's fault. That's what it is. I solved it. And he's going to go live with that guy in the end. So mm-hmm. unbelievable. He doesn't learn. Can we talk about Haggerty for a minute? Mm-hmm. That guy is a fucking narc, <laughs> and I hate him. <laughs> He is the neighbor that I feel like everybody had in the 80s. That guy is portrayed in some form in like every 80s film, whether it's a comedy or some sort of action movie, or it's just this guy who disapproves of the youth. And it it annoyed me to no end, especially when he got knocked down. I'm air quoting so hard I might sprain my fingers. He got knocked down in the hallway. Keanu helped him up. He cares Mm -hmm. a little Mm -hmm. bit. I just don't like Haggerty. Oh, yeah. I, uh, why would you ever like Haggerty? Who Who is Haggerty's friend? You know, who who befriended Haggerty? No one. That's why he's so angry. It's a great point. And, and that's what happens. Yeah, that's why you got to be nice to people. Otherwise, you get a world full of Haggerty's. Yeah, he had this kind of look of like Mick from Rocky. You know, he's just this like older man with a beanie and, and he's kind of just angry all the time. He didn't have like the, the great voice of Mick, but he, he was, he had an annoying voice that was just narky and tattletale <laughs> And, and he would just, he would always just blow up his spot. He, you know, Ron would try to sneak by and, and maybe borderline be considerate. And, and this guy would just always show up out of nowhere and just be like, you're the worst and put him down and, and really ruin any sort of potential pride that Ron had been carrying because he made a good decision that day. That's, that's Haggerty in a nutshell. Hmm. I have one final quote uh, that I want to play. There was a lot of acting done during this scene, and I'll just, I'll I'll let it speak for itself. It's none of your business why I'm late. Oh, yes, it is my business. (laughs) I have a collection of my own. It's called Lame Brain Excuses, and you're the leading contributor. So let's hear it. You want an excuse? I have a great excuse. I can't wait. I was in court because I got busted for a B&E. How's that for a great excuse? Wait a minute, mister. Hey, did I say you can leave? No! Well, come back here! (laughs) I love that that was clearly a yell from very far down the hallway by that point from Keanu saying no. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. that sounds like it was at the end of the day and they, the, the director just, he wasn't getting what he wanted out of these two and they were just trying to one up each other in the yelling that felt maybe like the most authentic part of the movie for me. Yeah. It, it didn't come across to me at first that he was quitting school at that point. It just kind of felt like he needed to blow off some steam and maybe, you know, go outside but it, we don't learn I, I feel like they could have put at the end of there when he's kind of like how's that for an excuse i quit or something and then left <laughs> but it was just very open-ended and he's just kind of like going out the door uh and then he tells you know his mom later like i quit high school um it was it was interesting 
I do have a little career guidance for that teacher. If a kid has picked up all of his stuff and stormed out and like slammed the door open and is already down the hall, don't say get back here because mm. that kid is definitely not coming back there and you have now lost credibility in front of a room full of teenagers. Yeah. Right. That's a great point. They know you have no power to make anybody do anything. You've lost the room. Yeah, you, exactly. You've lost the room. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> that, that's one of those things where I... I didn't grow up in the 80s. I didn't go to high school in the 80s. And part of me feels nostalgic for a thing that I never did. But did students and teachers actually interact like that? Or is that just the movies? Like, I I, want to know if, like, life inspired art or vice versa. Because every teacher-student interaction like that from the 80s feels similar. Yeah, I have no idea. I can't answer that. I got to believe it's an it's an easy way to dramatize a character. It's just like a really easy way in within a movie to just turn someone into a bad boy is them talking back to a teacher because, you know, maybe this did happen in the 80s, but I know when I was in high school, it was not something you did. And the only person who would would be someone who was really angry or, you know, some kind of badass. So I, I don't know. I would like to find out. We'll have to ask around a little bit. <laughs> We, we don't have to. No, I do. Uh, we I, have I, to. I like to keep up the fantasy, really. We're follow up and next week. If it's shattered, I don't know what will happen to my world. If they're like, no, it wasn't like that. It was pretty much like your experience. Everyone was mostly quiet. No one was super witty or angry. Was anyone else off put by the like quasi British accent that the judge had? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I did not understand that really at all. It was the only accent of that type in the movie, and it it felt like this stereotypical, you know, judge. I need to talk very properly and with this British accent in order for my character to really come across as me being a judge. I would have to listen to that again. I did not hear a British accent. I heard a Canadian accent. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what I heard, but I do know that th- the word recognizance was pronounced rather bizarrely. <laughs> so, well, the Canadian accent would be French-ish, correct? That would be what we would expect. Mm-hmm. So maybe it it was more mm-hmm. of a French accent. I mean, it depends on where they are. Apparently, he's in the Montreal area, although right. no one was speaking French. I just yeah, I verified that he hitchhiked to Toronto. So we can't be called out for being wrong. I had it in the notes. They were from Montreal. So he's leaving Montreal. And he went yeah. to Toronto. Correct. Yeah. Although that'd be very difficult to ascertain just by watching this film. You kind of need to study what they put in the background for you. Well, no. I mean, you can tell from from um, the destination, the distances to the destination on the highway sign. Ooh. You could tell that he's going west, right? But I don't know what a kilometer yeah. is. I'm American. <laughs> You don't need to know how many kilometers away it is, but you know where Toronto is in relation to Ontario. I mean, if they if they're gonna show Montreal, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying you're going traveling in one direction, and it's away from Montreal. All right, fair enough. And it's hard to get further in the other direction from Montreal unless you're in like Nova Scotia, I think, because Montreal isn't it near the coast. Well, now you're now you're asking way too much of the viewer. <laughs> this isn't the geography podcast. Oh, sorry. I'm that was on the, the other, That was the other one. <laughs> All this time I thought I was on the geography Stop podcast. Stop giving away our podcast ideas. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I have a question for the two of you. I actually watched the credits of this and it said that there was a special appearance by Max the Wonder Dog. Did either of you see a dog in this movie? 
Axe. I mean, it, it definitely meant it was a, a, a dog or did, how did you determine that it was a dog? Like what if it was the guy's nickname? I mean, no, I think definitely think that was a dog. A wonder dog. I did a Google search of Max the Wonder Dog, surprising no one. About <laughs> seven thousand different breeds of dogs yeah. showed up. They were all cute. I would pet them all. I just kind of wanted to see a picture of I the one from the eighties. There has to. I guarantee you that it was a homeless person. <laughs> just been. in the background of Montreal. Just in the background for no reason. Yeah. It was someone's, that's, they, you know, they paid that guy probably $30,000 to be a background actor, I guess. I, I have no idea. Max the Wonder Dog. Was was there, a, was there a dog that barked in the break-in scene? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a dog in the break-in scene because it was all in pitch black, which is, by the way, a wild choice for your first shot of a, anything. Right. What is happening have here? everything in, in pitch black. I do recall a barking dog. I don't remember when it was, though. So it might be just that he's credited because they... Uh, recorded his bark for that scene. Is that required by SAG? Well, I guess SAG doesn't even apply to a movie like this. I'm just curious why they would credit credit Max the Wonder Dog. It could have been any dog. It could have been any Foley. It didn't even have to be... Uh, it's something they actually recorded. They're just trying to pad out the credits a little bit to get some some length, maybe. Yeah, they have to meet that very special short film length. Right. Exactly. Do we have any closing thoughts on one step away um no <laughs> i've said i've said everything that i have thought or possibly could think about this film already honestly the fact that we've been talking about it for as long as we have is kind of an injustice to the world because no one should have talked or thought about this movie for as long as longer we have than already. the film itself yeah if, yeah. uh, if you're listening to this podcast and thinking to yourself, man, I would I should go check this out just to see what these guys are talking about. Don't do that. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Sorry if you already did. Because <laughs> you're following along for some strange reason. Okay, let me throw this out there. This is such a weird hypothetical, but having watched this, would you have looked at Keanu and been like, this guy has a bright acting career ahead of him? Definitely not this kid has a bright acting career in front of him, but he did act pretty hard considering how terrible of a story it was. I did feel like he was bringing all of the talents that he may have at least possessed at the time to this role. Yeah, I think that he acted pretty hard considering he was giving nothing and the the movie was nothing. <laughs> a lot of nothing. So I actually would have looked at that and thought, I wonder if I'll see him in something else. I, I would I would I would not be surprised if that were a launching point. I would not think that that person would be the Keanu Reeves that we know today. I would not think like that big of a career arc. I probably wouldn't I wouldn't watch a follow-up to this. I don't know if they're <laughs> actually, I probably would. If they made a sequel to it like next year and it also starred <laughs> Keanu as an adult, I would actually probably watch that movie just to get some semblance of closure. I one hundred percent would watch that movie. Sure. Because the whole moral of the story is wrapped up in the ending that yeah. doesn't exist. So pick up there. What is the moral of the story? We need to know what he's doing as an adult to be able to figure out what actually the moral yep. of that story was. Did he did he fall into a life of crime after all because he stayed with his shitty mm. best friend? Did he turn his life around? Does he now mentor other kids? Like, you don't know, man. 
That would be a really great pitch to Keanu to be like, look, we have to tell the rest of this story. So can we get you on board for two more 30 minute films Maybe <laughs> to talk about what happened? Maybe he'll listen and, and, and decide to do that himself. So those are our thoughts on One Step Away. I hope you all feel edified. Yes. Worth it. <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> Next week, we are going to be talking about Youngblood, which is a movie I know I certainly haven't seen. Have either of you seen that? No. I have not seen it. Excited, though. From what I can gather, it's a movie about ice hockey in Canada. So we're already mm-hmm. seeing some themes emerge here. And it also stars Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, it's the beginning of the bromance, mm-hmm. and Cynthia yeah. Gibb. Are you looking forward to this one? Um. Yes. Say yes. Uh, no. Okay. No. I don't, I'm not interested in a mid-80s ice hockey movie. However, I do like the idea of Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, and Keanu Reeves, all very young in their careers. So I'm not, I'm not like dreading it. Uh, I, but it's definitely not my kind of movie. I can tell you right now, unless it's like the 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 space balls of ice hockey movies, I'm not going to be into it. That was Slapshot, right? Or am I wrong? <laughs> am I wrong? <laughs> I think it was Slapshot, but I didn't see it because I don't watch movies about mm. hockey. I don't watch sports movies, although for some reason I've seen every one of the Keanu sports films. So, and I've enjoyed <laughs> them all. I don't even really watch sports, but I'm like, yeah, let's do the replacements. Football, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. So we're uh, we're lukewarm on Young Blood. We'll see how it goes. I think I think I'm going to have a lot to say about Young Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves all together yeah. in a movie. I think that's going to be fun. Absolutely. Ev, do you have any final uh, thoughts to add there about Young Blood? I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think this is going to be our. It, it it feels like it's going to be the first true representation of Keanu in a in a you know full length film, and, and I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if we get to a true representation of Keanu for many films. <laughs> We're going to find out. But I'm willing to take the journey with you. And I'm glad that you are both here so that I am not <laughs> suffering through this alone. <laughs> Let me just say, you can find our website at coolbreezepod.com and access all of our episodes, the list of films we're reviewing. I posted that up there and a lot more learn about us, all that good stuff. You can also reach out by emailing coolbreezepod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. Go there and see me trolling Evan about a certain band that he (laughs) may or may not be the president of the fan club for. (laughs) If you think this is a podcast you can get behind, please give us a subscription on your platform of choice. And if you're feeling super generous, throw a review our way. The more stars, the better. But I mean, you know, I know it's tough. It's tough. We'll be back next week to review Youngblood. But until then, Whitney, where can we keep up with your exploits on the internet? I am on Historical Hotties, which is a podcast where we talk about which dead people we fancy. And uh, we are just about to put up an episode about Texans. So I think that that will be the most recent episode when this goes up, but it might be two episodes ago, but we talked about famous Texans and it's actually a really, really interesting episode. Uh, and that is historical hotties anywhere you get your podcasts or at historically hot on social media. And then I'm also on a video game podcast called almost better than silence, where we talk about what we played, uh, that week and any video game news and then check out myth takes, which is a monster of the week role-playing game that I am a character in. Ev, tell us where you can be found on the internet. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> Still? <laughs> 
That's the same joke. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Uh, we only have two episodes and you've told the same yep. joke twice. <laughs> it's going to happen every time. Um, at Evan Acri, uh there as well as, as Twitter. Yep, that's it. That's all? That's all. That's my only internet presence. You can find me on pretty much any platform at Dark Driving over on YouTube. I teach a video editing series called The Primary Storyline. You can learn all about color correction and sound, and maybe I'll even throw in some podcasty type stuff now that we are knee deep in this. Thank you all for joining, and in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. <laughs> <laughs>